Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Rose Griffin to the podcast to discuss how to help children with autism find their voice and increase their communication skills. Rose is a speech-language pathologist and board-certified behavior analyst with over 20 years of experience in the field. She provides educational material online through ABA Speech and works part-time in the public education system. Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. It's my pleasure. I, I typically start by really getting an understanding of where people are coming from, and I'm intrigued to know kind of how you entered the field and how you kind of married <laughs> the, the speech and ABA components. Yeah. So I, uh, to make a long story short, I, my mom actually was a teaching a class my senior year of high school and it said I should be a speech therapist. That was one of the things. So I went along and shadowed a family friend and before I started college and it was absolutely fascinating. We went to a nursing home, we went to a school, we did so many different things. And I thought, wow, this is really such an awesome profession that's based in science, but there's not as much math as going into medicine because that wasn't my strong suit. My first year as a speech therapist, they said, oh my gosh, we made this major financial error. So the next year, your job is going to be eliminated. Um, and as traumatic as that was for my 23-year-old self, they allowed me personal days to go on interviews. And I subsequently started working at what used to be called the Cleveland Clinic Center for Autism, mm -hmm. um, which is basically a non-public program. And I just always loved working with students students with autism. And oftentimes we're seeing students who have um, very unsafe uh, problem behavior that's a barrier to their learning. And that was my first introduction into applied behavior analysis. And I just saw how the science could absolutely change the lives of students that I was working with. And, um, you know, so many students that I would see would be more advanced in chronological age, but they still had no way to functionally communicate um, mm -hmm. besides this maladaptive adaptive behavior repertoire that they had acquired. And so I knew right then that I wanted to learn as much as I could um, about ABA. And then I got married. We moved to Austin, Texas. And I started taking classes at UNT, and I was very lucky. I don't know if you know who Kelly Woodrich is um, from the Central Texas Autism Center, but she puts on the Verbal Behavior Conference, and she was my supervisor. Um, wow. And I think her supervisor was Dr. Carbone. So it was just really this awesome time where, um, you know, I was learning in the field. I had a job where I was an autism facilitator, and it was just perfect for accruing all my hours. Uh, and so it was really, really great. So I've been duly certified for about 10 years. Years, and there's about less than 450 of us that are duly certified. So it's a small group. I know a lot of SLP BCBAs. We call ourselves unicorns. And um, it just allows me to really help my students in such a very specialized way. And I really love it. Yeah, no, that's the first thought that came to my mind was unicorn because the perspective from a speech language pathologist can only assist and add to the behavior analytic work. And it's it's that combination that we should all be looking to do, whether it's collaboratively or 
in your case, it's all in one package, um, right. being able to do. I, I actually have a question is that yeah. when you were discussing your history, you yeah. went from working with like a nursing home, so senior mm-hmm. care, uh, all the way to, to now very focused with autism. It mm-hmm. seems like the speech work that would be done mm-hmm. is vastly different. What is unique about the, the autistic population with speech Mm-hmm. that maybe you don't utilize a lot with senior care or stroke victims or things yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, you know, something that actually might actually be similar is, um, you know, some students that we meet um, who are autistic might have behavioral barriers to their their learning. And so that really just over my career, I would always, no matter where I was working, I ended up always seeing, you know, potentially older students, students who had problem behavior, um, students who hadn't developed a way to communicate. And that's just always what I've been passionate about. And it's not just students with autism. I always say any student with complex needs um, is really my jam because I I just feel bad for students that haven't been able to develop functional language. I want to be able to help them find their voice. Um, And on the flip side, you know, some speech therapists are just like you're saying, like what you do in a nursing home may be vastly different than what you do with autism students or just public school programming, our scope is very, very broad. And sometimes I think that board certified behavior analysts don't really understand that when they come across a speech therapist who maybe isn't um, thinking about language the same as them or thinking about programming or doesn't feel as comfortable working with autistic students, is that we could work with people who have had strokes work with people who have um, swallowing disorders. And so it is very, very broad. And so sometimes speech therapists just haven't had a whole lot of experience, either number one, collaborating in a positive way with BCBAs, or number two, just working with students who have like severe autism, you know? Yeah. And and I would imagine that you're also dealing with being able to translate that material into a way that it's going to be usable. As a speech pathologist, you lose some of the intensity of hours, just uh, whether it's a funding issue or mm-hmm. um, other barriers. Now it relies on getting that information into the hands of all the stakeholders that are a part of that child's life. What got you into the creation of materials? And, and it, it, that seems like a big focus of your work right mm-hmm. now is empowering others. Yes. Can you give me some background? Yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing I always say as a speech therapist, my biggest role is really not the therapy. That's not my biggest role. My biggest role is making sure that I build rapport with every single person on the team, whether that means private speech therapists, you know, outside consultants, because sometimes I'm, a, I'm on a team and I'm the speech therapist and I'm consulting with the BCBA. Um, and so it really just depends on the situation. So I think just like you said, you know, we really have to focus on that collaborative piece. And I just did a training on this where, you know, if I'm doing something in the therapy room, I really need everybody in the on the team to be supporting and embedding communication opportunities across a learner's day um, because that time that we have in speech therapy uh, may be small comparatively speaking and so we need to get more bang for our buck and make sure that we're having that ongoing communication easier said than done though with the team so I actually do a lot of training on that um, and the whole reason Jeff I actually started ABA speech is because I had this idea for a physical therapy product that I sell called the action builder cards and so when I was working on language I would have students who were working on tacting different nouns and different actions and then we were putting together phrases so I had a student was able to label apple 
and they were able to label eating. And then we were doing eating apple, eating pizza, eating ice cream. Well, you know, a long time ago, there just weren't any cards out there. So our staff, our one-on-one staff, RBTs were using images. I work with, a, you know, in a non-public program with 80 RBTs, you know, this is a lot of color printer paper and laminating and, and work by them. So I had this idea for this product and that's really what started my whole business. And so what the action builder cards are, are a hundred flashcards that have 13 frequently occurring actions and then drawing on evidence-based using multiple exemplars to help plan for the generalization of language skills. This is what it does. So when you work on the action of eating, it's not just one picture of one kid eating an apple. Like we've all used those cards that are like that. Um, This gives you those multiple examples so that we can help our students plan for generalization. And so it's really been such a joy to have that product, see it in action um, in different countries. And it's just really cool. And that's really what started my entire business is that that idea, trying to solve that problem for people. And as a good BCBA, I'm always trying to streamline my process and make everything that I do, uh, you know, lower response effort, but still being able to help. So. Yeah, I think all the practitioners out there are lucky that you had this this <laughs> yes. big brain light moment of <laughs> saying, hey, I'm going to go out there and build this because it is a lot of time. It's a lot of energy. And having your background of understanding, not only from the speech language pathologist perspective, but like you said, is that some of your influence was coming from folks like Vince Carbone, who really worked on verbal behavior. So every child with communicative needs in autism is so different. And I'd be interested in your perspective of, you know, how do you take a look at this and how do you understand the best way to teach each individual child? How are you looking at the individual to understand, are they a visual learner? Do they need to have more of the physical, so sign language, prompting language? Mm -hmm. How do you start? That's a great question. And I think the most important thing is to build rapport with our students. And so in the behavioral world, we may call that something different, but just getting to know our clients and building rapport with them so that when they're with the speech therapist, that it's a a positive and that we're just, you know, when I was down in Texas, I was working as an autism facilitator, almost kind of like a, you know, a behavior specialist. And I would help the speech therapist understand like, you know, let's, let's work with the student and have things the student loves and enjoys. And we don't have to have the student label things. We don't have to be demanding all the time. We really just want to set things out, see what they love and enjoy, be, you know, engaging with them, but not always demanding language at the start. And I think that's what's really, really important. Um, I think the other thing is the VB map. You know, when I was working down in Austin, we started using the VB map. And so I would go out and I would help school teams administer the VB map. And I would help support speech therapists understand um, the power of that tool and how it can be so amazing for our scope and sequence of intervention. Um, And I think the thing too is that a lot of speech therapists don't always understand what their role is on a team where there's other providers um, because they're like, well, I don't know. I'm just supporting the same goals. Really have this niche area where we understand speech and language in such an enriched way that we can give really great ideas on, you know, generalizing language and using natural environment teaching um, and all those things. So I think when you put all those things together that you can really get such a great scope and sequence for helping your students. So obviously, 
starting with that really robust assessment. Um, not a lot of speech therapists know much about the VB map. Um, Dr. Sunberg actually was nice enough. He sent me all these VB map uh, guidebooks. I did a hands-on lab for ASHA, which is our national conference for speech therapists, um, with three other uh, unicorns, SLP, BCBAs, and we had speech therapists come in. We went over the VB map. They could look, touch, see it. Um, and I, I do a lot of training on that. We have some other things that are kind of similar. Um, one is called the functional communication profile, and that helps us get a good idea that we might miss those things if we give a standardized test. Um, and so that focus on requesting, I actually just for my supervision group that I run once a month, we were talking about manding last night. And I said, you know, sometimes speech therapists don't set goals for requesting because it's not something that's assessed in our standardized assessment. So if you don't have that assessed, you're not going to set that as a goal. And we know from a BCBA perspective, that's so very important for our students to understand their communication is powerful. And so that's kind of where the disconnect can be. But that's kind of where I get started. Your, your perspective of bringing fun into the communication process, I think, is extremely valuable. A lot of our kids, the opportunity to communicate is not seen as an opportunity. It's seen as work initially. And if you're not creating fun and value and purpose to what they're doing, where they're seeing payoff, it's going to be harder for them to put in and be motivated to actually learn these skills. So as a speech pathologist, where does the additive components of being a speech pathologist come in? Does it come in with articulation? Does it come in with um, getting more into pragmatics? Where does, where do those two? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes speech therapists are really good at understanding how to have a session that might look more play-based or look more like natural environment teaching. Um, And every single BCBA is different. You know, I have a podcast too, Autism Outreach, and I've had some BCBAs on, um, like Dr. Mary Barbera, who's a friend and colleague of mine, but she talks a lot and trains parents um, and professionals on really the power of working at a table and how that direct instruction is very important. And I know that she believes in natural environment teaching too. Her approach versus somebody like Braxton Baker or Liz Willis, who are also SLP BCBAs, and they really say, hey, you know what? It should really be play-based. We really need to teach language in the environment where it's taking place. Um, And then if you throw me into the mix where I'm a school-based therapist, you know, some school-based therapists don't have the luxury of seeing students in a one-on-one setting. So it's just very, very different. So I think that speech therapists, what we really can bring to the table is our in-depth knowledge of all the different areas of language, but how to make things really functional, how to work with them in a natural type of setting. Um, And then I think what BCBAs can bring is like maybe that way to make it a little more systematic, that way to capture the data so that we know we're analyzing it and making treatment decisions that way. Um, But you brought up speech too, you know, and that's a a whole other big thing, but um, you know, if I'm working with a student and he's working on a coex or verbal imitation, I, as the speech therapist, make sure that student can say all those words 100%. And you know what? We're going to keep maintenance data, right? Like any ABA program would, that's good. Um, and if the student isn't able to make the sound, you don't try to help him make it, right? Let me do that. That's my scope and sequence of practice. And then we'll put that back into maintenance when I know the student can do it with 100% accuracy, just like I would with a with a child where the parent works on homework during the week, which I see a lot of kids who just are working on speech, you know, and don't even have autism. But um, that kind of idea, I think, is kind of a nice way because 
SLPs get mad at BCBAs for overstepping and BCBAs, you know, think that ABA can fix everything. And so I, in my practice, in my business, I always try to build a bridge, even though sometimes that can be very <laughs> difficult, but you yeah. have to get started, right? Where, where everybody's on a journey, I say. And so I'm just the person to try to help and talk about SLPs and BCBAs and how when we work together, we can absolutely change people's lives. Yeah, and that interdisciplinary care, whether it's with speech and behaviors or whether it's with occupational therapy and behaviors, physical therapy, um, medicine, it's so important to look at the child as a whole and get that input from all of these specialists or else you're going to be missing core pieces. Mm-hmm. I, you and I have been in the field probably around the same amount of time, and uh, which means we've probably gone through those same hurdles where 20 years ago, the idea of a picture exchange communication system was novel. Now technology is picking up so much. What are some of the technological advances that whether it's the creation of materials that you're able to do now or whether it's for speech production? Um, or communication systems, like what's out there right now that you have found helpful? Yeah, no, I think what's amazing is that now AAC devices, I was just talking about this on a train, a dedicated device. It wasn't an iPad. iPads didn't exist. You know, if a student had problem behavior and maybe dropped their uh, device or, you know, um, hit it against something, then I was talking to Pranky Romics customer service and I was shipping things back. And um, it's, it's just so much easier to try things now with the iPad because there are different applications. Um, And so I think there's less of a barrier there because dedicated devices were much more costly. Um, So I think that's really, really nice. And, you know, due to this age of COVID, a lot of speech therapists and myself too, just providing um, telehealth for speech and for ABA services, there's so many great materials out there. Like um, Epic Books is a really nice material. If you work in a school, I think you can get a free... um, Um, membership for that. And there's a lot of really great literacy-based activities, items that will read to you, which is nice for students who um, have more significant impairments. Um, And then you can just do things that are really, really advanced on there um, as well. And then another thing that I really love um, as far as seeing kids through through teletherapy is something called News Ella. Um, And they have really amazing articles. And that's another free resource. Just we did a cool lesson the other day. It was all about this car that had 15,000 bees on it in New Mexico. And this beekeeper had to come and take all the bees off. And then I showed the kids, um, because I'm all in on social media, so I have a TikTok account for my businesses. Um, I showed them this lady from Austin, Texas, who's a beekeeper, and she saves the bees. Um, And just trying to keep things exciting. There's so many things that you can do that it's almost overwhelming. But I always try to say, okay, I'm going to use these things, and we're going to use them for this way. And I'm going to see how the students um, uh, perceive them and if it's helping them learn. Um, But I do like to incorporate technology that way. It's sometimes hard is that if you're relying just on a picture exchange system, which still has a lot of value, Mm -hmm. but it limits what you can put in there at every given time. You need somebody to go out and cut out the pictures, create the opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's having these immediate access points Mm-hmm. has got to be empowering for families and create more of that spontaneous communication that we all look for. <laughs> um, and as a parent, I, I could say is that even just watching my kids grow up, it's like hearing those words come out, <laughs> hearing <laughs> them start to develop more and more language is so empowering. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the the highlights that, that you've seen? And every child, I would imagine, has highlights. But 
looking through, utilizing all these systems, this coordination of care that you've been Mm -hmm. able to provide, where you've seen the family get that aha moment and seen that child break through going from one word to 10 words to being able to speak in sentences. Is that frequently occurring for you? Yeah, I mean, I definitely over my 20 years have worked with a lot of students who had no functional way to communicate. But the one student that stands out um, lived in another country for 10 years, came back to the United States. And what was cool about this student, I met him in sixth grade. He had um, no way to communicate. Um, but he really did not engage in a problem behavior that was a barrier to his learning. So he was just kind of like ready to learn. Um, And when I met him, I thought, oh, this kid's going to be perfect for an iPad, an AAC device. But his point was not a point. We had to shape up his point with the OT. Um, I had administered the VB map along with the teacher. And so we worked on a lot of early learner skills like matching. And we did verbal imitation. We did sign language and also a COIC training. And this was a student I saw in a public school, uh, but I really, the great, I would, you know, do skills training where they were sitting in on sessions. I was talking with them about what we were working on. We were taking daily data. um, And this student was able to, in sixth grade, start verbalizing spontaneously. It was amazing. And what was so cool about this student, I've presented on him at conferences and written papers and all the things, is that he was able to make almost all the speech sounds that we say. And that you usually don't see student at that advanced chronological age to the point where we had a substitute and the substitute said, oh my gosh, I can't believe so-and-so is talking so much. It's amazing. Um, You know, did the students still have very complex communication? Yes, but working together as a team and having that team-based approach and seeing the students start communicating on their own because of our collaboration, because of the systematic way um, that I was working with the student. And I do think I was seeing him like three times a week, which actually is a lot of service for a public school speech therapist to provide. Um, But we were just 110% in for this student. And it was amazing to see um, him go from not being able to communicate to him being able to spontaneously say things on his own. And that was really just the highlight of my career, I'd say. He actually moved this year, and I was devastated for like weeks after that, but it's okay. (laughs) It's fun to still talk about it. Well, those are are the inspiring stories that that keep us really just trying to think outside the box and continuously advance and push harder, even for those older kids that maybe others have given up on. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what, maybe there's that last thing we could try. Maybe there's mm-hmm. something I can tweak. Language is so important for right. culture. And you have a lot of families that maybe are um, uh, bilingual with English and Spanish in their home, or with, uh, we have families that speak uh, Arabic and English mm-hmm. in their, it, they, they feel like they have to choose one or the other. As a speech pathologist, what's your point mm-hmm. of view on that? Yeah. That's a great question because I do talk to a lot of people through consultations abroad. And what we have seen in the literature is that, you know, language and communication, and especially in your home environment, there's so much social reciprocity. And there's so much that that in your native language, you're just going to be expressing yourself in a different way where you're comfortable. And so they say, you don't really, you shouldn't have to choose like that. Because if you do that, you're going to just take off that whole piece of language and communication. Um, 
where we have all these shared activities with our kids. And, and we know when you have a child with autism or a more complex communication disorder, sometimes the amount of shared activities that you can enjoy together, it might be less than if you have a typical language learner in your home. And so, so we've just encouraged parents and when I do consultations abroad to just really speak in that native language because you're going to be getting that type of social communication, um, which we know is so important for our students in the long run. Yeah, and I think that whether it's language or the way we communicate, which Mm -hmm. could be vocally, it could be uh, through visual means, or it could be physically, um, is that I think we have to be open to all of that and understand that there's going to be a multitude of answers that we could be approaching for, for each child. So what advice do you have for parents is that communication is so valuable for being able to navigate life. Uh, academic. What advice do you have for parents who have concerns that their child is is either behind or developmentally not catching all of the language cues that are out there? Yeah, I mean, if your child is already receiving services, I think the most important thing is to have ongoing communication with your providers. So whether that means that, you know, especially if you have younger children, you know, can you observe a session? Can you be a part of that? You should really be involved as much as you want to be, as much as you can be in what is going on in therapy um, so that you can help. And it's not like you have to do therapy sessions in your house. If that makes sense for you, you can, but just so you know what's going on so that you can help generalize those things to the home environment. And I think that's very, very important for parents. And I think sometimes as parents, you know, we get really overwhelmed, even with me and I have three kids and it's like, who needs to do what? And I'm going where? And then it's eight o'clock and I'm exhausted or I'm doing a webinar or, you know, whatever it is, is, is just making sure that, you know, do we get like a weekly note or, you know, sometimes even in a public school, I, there's a couple parents that have asked and I do, I email parents just to say, hey, this is what we worked on, um, which is not the norm for a public school-based therapist just because of the the demands that we have on us. But I really want to make sure that parents understand that, hey, I'm in this together. I'm on your side. I want to help support you. And so I think just being proactive and being able to observe some if you can, just so you know what therapy exactly looks like and you're not just trying to get that idea based on like even a very specific progress note. Um, So I would just say that. And you should feel comfortable with your providers if you, you know, don't like them, you know, see if you can switch, like those are all your rights as a parent. Um, and I think just that's very, very important. That's such wonderful advice. And, and Rose, you can tell that you've dedicated yourself to being able to web, webcasts and podcasts and speaking events and all the material development and blogs. How can people access the material that you're putting out there so that they have something to be able to kind of look back on and, and to kind of get their, their brain kind of thinking around some of these other ideas. Yeah, make sure to visit me, abaspeech.org. I have a lot of freebies on my blog. Some are dedicated just towards professionals. And then I also have a podcast called Autism Outreach, and it's all about autism and communication. And we have BCBAs on and speech therapists and parents and autistic individuals just to kind of get everybody on the team's perspective and input. So in a new episode drops every single Tuesday. So make sure that you uh, tune in. 
I definitely will. And I appreciate the time that, that you've shared with us today. And hopefully the, the listeners will be able to have some opportunity to kind of explore different realms of autism. I suggest everybody go and check out ABA speech. But thanks again, Rose. I appreciate the, the time that, that you shared with us. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. That's plural.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.